This is a Rooster Teeth production. All right, Charles, WandaVision is taking us through genres and eras of sitcoms and we've gone through bewitched we're at we're at, you know andy griffith show kind of stuff you know we're gonna go to brady bunch what genre of sitcom are they not gonna touch that you wish they would touch you know what actually i i, I know what my answer is and this is like kind of twisted to say i wouldn't even necessarily call these technical sitcoms but you remember that wave of like family youtubers who would be like hey this is my entire life. Welcome inside. It's like, we're feeding the babies today. We're making baby food. And it's like, nobody wants to see this. And yet, oh. millions of people apparently do. I would totally watch, like, WandaVision's YouTube channel, them, you know, doing all oh kinds of crazy God. shit. <laughs> Best answer I could have imagined. I'm good with that. Let's move on. Theme song, go. Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen. I'm Charles William Moore, joined by my co-host, John Reisinger. How you feeling, John? Oh, man, I was already excited about recording this because we've been talking about this podcast for <laughs> quite a while now. And then we came up with the idea of WandaVision. That got me excited. Now I've seen WandaVision, and I'm so excited to finally get to talk about it. I have been, my phone has been getting lit up for the past few days of all my friends going like, hey, John, what's this? Hey, hey, John, what, wait, what's this reference? Why I don't get. So I am so happy that we get to have a podcast based around this conversation. I'm excited. Okay, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as soon as I had finished watching the episodes, I was like, oh, I got to text everyone, everyone. And it's that terrible feeling of like, <laughs> oh, there's this thing, but I can't like express my feelings. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this is um, this is our inaugural episode. Um, and there are probably a lot of people listening who want to know a bit more about what this pod's all going to be about and what we mean by the real canon, um, which is this idea that came out of you and I talking about our relationships with fandom. Um just want to, I feel like everyone knows you. Um, everyone listening, anyone listening to a Rooster Teeth podcast, like, knows who you are. Um, but hi, I'm new here. Um, name's Charles. Um, when I'm not podcasting, I'm a staff writer and critic at io9. And I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about um, the canonical things of a text, uh, the canonical text of things like WandaVision, you know, shows, TVs, games, what have you. Um, but there's also, you know, these conversations that happen within fandoms um, and the news cycles around these things. And those all sort of come together to form a kind of canon of their own that's really interesting. You know, that's what we mean by the real canon. Um, the real canon exists between those two things, right? It's like what happened in the show and then what the people are sort of talking about the show, what people are saying about the show. And then we all sort of, you know, we fall into that middle ground. And I feel like that's where yeah. all the fun kind of conversations really like jump out. And it's what we are yeah. ostensibly here to do. Yeah, it's it's like the shows and stuff and the video games we're playing, all this kind of stuff where this like nerd genre culture stuff is, is great. But it's like so much more satisfying in between the lines of all that, of the actual games and shows. It's these these conversations that happen, you know, between friends and even on the internet between mm -hmm. random strangers and even the news articles that come out about them. And it's that sweet spot that I'm hoping we can recreate here on the show. And as, as like Charles said, as a content creator and a producer for Rooster Teeth, I, I 
I get to experience those kinds of uh, uh, conversations in the hallways of cons. And I even get to, you know, you get to have them in like Twitch chat and all those kinds mm-hmm. of places. Um, you know, I, I, I recently uh, was watching Mandalorian with my buddy Andy. Every morning when Mandalorian came out, we would watch via Discord together because we miss having that connectivity, you know, as as nerd friends. Oh, wow. And so there there was there was that that magic that even comes into already a good show that happens in between two nerds getting to have that kind of a conversation. And so uh, that's that's kind of what I'm hoping we create here. And like, you know, the way that we all send each other the new, the articles and and the big uh, uh, headlines of what's happening in nerd culture. Um, and and that's this kind of relationship we want to foster with this podcast, which is a great segue into our first uh, uh the first segment. <laughs> segment. Segway into segment. That's a great segue into our first segment, which is all about the hot news of the time right now, which is called Cannon Fodder. Cool. Um, there's been a ton that I want to talk about with this, uh, with the ongoing development of Ray Fisher's uh, relationship with the Justice mm. League uh, movie, particularly the Josh Whedon version and uh, all of that. And, uh, that's the, there's even been some more information about Ray coming out. And particularly there's one, uh, some news recently that he, he revealed that, uh, all of his footage basically from the Josh Whedon version, as opposed to the Snyder cut, which is set to come out soon, mm-hmm. um, was reshot. Mm-hmm. And so basically that means that Josh Whedon came in and completely redid Cyborg's story compared to however Snyder wanted it. And so th- Apparently, in the Snyder cut, we're going to see that's going to be like completely different, right? Yeah, like you know, the larger story about this, you know, earlier, goodness, I'm, my sense of time is all warped. Last year, you know, Ray Fisher comes out with these allegations of just onset misconduct between, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily, not always between himself and Joss Whedon directly, but yeah. his hearing through the grapevine that decisions were being made about his fate in the film that Mm -hmm. um, were going to hurt, you know, his presence. You know, if you remember the Justice League cyborg, he's he's there, technically. Um, He doesn't do a whole lot. And his origins are really glossed over. Um, And I remember he wears a sweatsuit at one point. He wears a sweatsuit. It's very flattering. Totally biased. You know, everyone, (laughs) no one's asking questions about it. Um, But now with everything that Fisher is saying, um, it sort of really is making people look back on what Cyborg's depiction was like in the initial cut of the film that Snyder stepped away from um, due to a loss in the family and Whedon stepped in to fix. Um, and what we're, we've gotten to a point now where um, it's an investigation, internal investigation was launched um, by WB. Yeah. And the news, the word in the news for a while was that Fisher wasn't cooperating, which he rebutted. Whedon said that the allegations were unfounded. It's just been this big, messy squabble. And we're at a point now where the current report is that Fisher is no longer set to appear as Cyborg in the upcoming Flash movie, where everybody who has ever been in a DC movie, essentially, any Batman, rather, is going to show up. Yeah. Um, And so we're looking at this version of Cyborg. We're looking at Fisher as Cyborg in Snyder Cut that's coming up. Which is going to be interesting because to your point we if the reports are true about uh fisher's role really being reduced and reshot in whedon's role then this in whedon's cut this is going to be our first time seeing more of what snyder had initially envisioned for the character 
Which is interesting in theory, um, if we had seen any of it before. But now that all of this news yeah. has come out, it you know it really sort of casts things in a certain light. Um, but you know, the what's really sort of interesting and fascinating and depressing all at the same time is how this feels like a crystallization of the weird way that DC has attempted to frame Cyborg as a core member of the Justice League in order to, you know, shoo Jon Stewart off the team. You know, this is something that, mm -hmm. this is a conversation that fans have been having for years. Um, why isn't Cyborg on the Teen Titans where he belongs? What are you doing? He doesn't belong with those adults. Shame on you. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, bring back Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, you know, and it's, 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 it's the truth. He is the Justice League's black member for a lot of people, um, as it yeah. is, you know, uh, you know, it's a, it is a Benetton ad with super with superpowers, and John, that's the role he fills there sometimes. Um, he was the Green Lantern for a generation of kids who grew up on the Justice League cartoons. And to see, yeah. and you know, that same that same generation who grew up with the Teen Titans, with Cyborg being a core member, it's weird seeing Cyborg with the Justice yeah. League. Yeah, because yeah, they, you're right. You're, you're right. So many of these of these people, including myself, grew up watching John Stewart on on the Justice League cartoon mm -hmm. and that kind yeah. of thing. And then then this new generation has grown up seeing Cyborg, including myself, watching the show, seeing Cyborg with the Teen Titans in the Teen yeah. Titans, Teen Titans Go, and all that. So they really did rub against the grain with and throwing him into. And it would all be ex not excusable, but we'd all be able to like get over it if what was being done with cyborg in the justice league films and to you know and to a lesser but different extent in the comics if what was being done with him was really interesting right where it was like yeah. oh yeah like i see why he's here but it's literally with fisher in particular it really does seem oh the studio and the publisher don't know what to do with this character and yeah. in not really committing to getting it right here we are now with it looking like cyborg just might not appear in their future films unless they recast the role yeah, which is like a, a, you know, to talk about like, you know, wanting Jon Stewart in the Justice League, which it's so the news of Ray Fisher not appearing anymore is maybe good news for, for the like the, the the actual story of Justice League, but super bad news for Ray Fisher, who was like signed up to be part of this verse and really want like seemed like a, 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 a an actor who was like jazzed to, you know, contribute to this. Yeah, and, yeah. And now the conversation is all about this, about this, this terrible uh, experience that he had. Right, right. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens next, but for now, yikes. Let's talk more about other people's terrible experience making stuff. And let's talk about <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 uh, really quick. So uh, we, we are going to be talking about video games in this podcast. Yes. We're both, uh, uh, you know, little gamer boys. Sure. Um, and uh, <laughs> Cyberpunk, we're finally at this point with like this this ongoing story of the, the development timeline for this game that we kind of have a big picture idea now. And it seems to be that while Cyberpunk was announced as a game like eight years ago, they didn't start developing it until like four years later in 2016 uh it turns out that they were like creating the engine while they uh were developing the game which the developers <laughs> you know attributed to like putting the track down while the, the you're you know riding the train on it mm -hmm. um and so uh it's 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 really seeming like you know uh cyberpunk red really just like full-on from the top you know uh execs down they set this thing up for failure in you know for the all the wrong reasons yeah they're like we were both reading this you know that really it's lengthy and it's devastating but it's also really interesting that bloomberg piece that breaks this all down um it is fascinating to know that within the company management really like 
drank the Kool-Aid and bought into this, mm-hmm. this idea like, we made The Witcher 3, of course we can do mm-hmm. this. And it's like, eh, mm-hmm. cool, love the energy, but like, let's grapple with reality for a second. Yeah. Um, the idea of making a video game as the engine is being built, what does that look like? What yeah. does that mean? And- and and then they were even they were even rushing it because they were like, oh, if we get it in before the 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 current gen is usurped by the new gen, mm-hmm. we can sell it that first time, and then we can do the GTA Five thing, and mm-hmm. we can sell it a second time, right, and right, then right. who knows, we'll sell it a third time, like you know, we'll just Skyrim the shit out of this thing for forever. Uh, but that was again like, uh, hey, bruv, that's a timeline we can't hit. Yeah, that sounds great in a world where we started developing this in 2012. We didn't and we can't we're like we're trying to get as many bugs out as fast as possible before we actually literally have to put these things on CDs to put the physical copies in stores. Yeah, and all of this really casts, you know, the accolades that were heaped onto the game, but also the awards that it was given, you know, one game of the year by the you know, one game of the year. And it's like you guys or rather not game of the year, um, best direction. Um and mm-hmm. that no, like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. And it's like this report in particular, it's like okay, what does best direction even mean? Because this is not (laughs) it. This is not it. This is the antithesis of a healthy work environment that is not only, you know, to say nothing of, you know, the game's quality, it's detrimental to the well-being of the the people who are making this. You know, as much as we all love the product, you know, we, I think, should be invested in the well-being of the people who make it. You know, they are a part, you know, they are a part of the community just as much as we are. The whole story, it's like, okay, so you worked these people into the ground to deliver a game that people could kind of sort of buy for the new console. And then when they bought it and played it, it was terrible. But what? Yep. Why? Why? Yep. Take your time. Truly, save save it. Keep it in the drafts. Nah. Give it to me when it's they had, done. They had, they had dollar signs in their eyes, and that's what it comes down to. And then, like you said, they had, they had the Kool-Aid in their blood and the dollar signs in their eyes. And it, it, it just kind of makes a bummer. Because the game... Full full disclosure is an amazing game that is totally broken. It is such a good game, and it is bugged to death, um, and such a bummer to to have that. But uh, I, you know, right. you can hope that this is a story that teaches people to stop doing this. I'm not holding my breath on that, but you hope that more and more <laughs> of this kind of uh, uh, transparency from like developers and that kind of thing teaches other people like, hey, don't do this, yo yo, don't yeah. do this, don't learn, let's <laughs> learn. There is a running, you know, one of the running themes throughout this particular show for us um, is reality. Um, and before, you know, we get into the the main witchy course, um, I kind of wanted to take a second to talk about, like, big picture thing for us. Um, you know, because of the magic of podcasting, we're recording this on the Monday before... January 18th. Yes, January 18th, yeah. uh, the Monday before President Biden's inauguration... Um, and at this point, all of the news and focus is understandably on the new team coming into the White House. Um, but I wanted to talk about this larger moment and specifically how we've been using fiction to make sense of reality. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about um, the Washington Post recently published this very interesting uh humor (laughs) (laughs) that's charles being nice for his opinion on this opinion piece it's a humor opinion piece written from the perspective of uh, a stormtrooper resigning from the death star and this piece was tied to the wave of republicans who were resigning in the wake of the january 6th attack on the capitol um just you know first reaction in context this whole piece just hit me really weird you know um Mm -hmm. again this we were quite literally talking about P- 
people resigning from their jobs because the Capitol was attacked by insurrectionists in an attack that left ultimately six people dead. And mm -hmm. here we have this, you know, this, you know, it's a long joke. That's what it is. Um, that is likening Congress people to stormtroopers. And while I get it, I kept thinking to myself, what, what are we doing here? What is to, what is, what's to be taken away from making fun of the fecklessness yeah. and, you know, cravenness of our elected officials um, in a post that ends with like, and then I left the Death Star, tee hee hee. It's like, okay, well. Yeah. Well, great, now what? Um, I think I think I think I think it's a it's a great example of the antithesis of what this conversation about canon should be, hmm. where you know the the uh, this, these these kinds of uh, uh, discussions about these characters and these stories that we love and and we've immersed ourselves into again is a way that we can uh, grapple with and make sense of our own reality and hmm. and the outside world and everything like that. But I think this article in itself was clearly someone doing that at the exact wrong time mm. with the exact wrong uh i think subject matters happening i don't think uh, to i i think what you were getting on what i got from it was that is like it was making light of a terrible tragedy mm. uh with a you know a a, a a series and 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 a people group the imperials that is uh you know a a, a metaphor for nazis and so let's just like I think I think that's a good example of where this kind of conversation can go a bit awry. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's complicated about this, and obviously, like, the post isn't unique. You know, like, that that joke is, like, that specific mode of joking is very common, and we all do it. And I, you know, and the, the, there mm -hmm. is something useful to it. Um, but when we, when we do engage in that kind of humor, I do think that we owe it to ourselves to be a bit more mindful about, like, what we're saying, you know? Um, yeah. When we conflate reality with fiction, it makes it so much easier for us to strip things of their nuance. Um, you know, what Stacey Abrams did to get out the vote, the black vote in particular, it wasn't this singular superheroic effort that fits into a tweet and makes it easy for you to compare her to Captain America. It's like, nah, bro, like that was work. Mm -hmm. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's the work of countless people doing hard labor to actively re-enfranchise um, citizens in a way that they deserve. And we owe it to ourselves to like, better understand that because it's something that we need to see more. And so I, 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 I guess, you know, to your point, that is sort of what we're trying to encourage people to do a bit more with this podcast yeah. as a whole. It's like, listen, we love fantasy. We love fiction. But it's mm -hmm. that intersection between fiction and reality where we exist and where we really sort of have to focus our energies. Well, let's uh, let's focus our energies on the good conversation about this, and let's move on to a, another uh, uh, conversation about reality um, and get to WandaVision with uh, our, our meat of the show, the state of the canon. I, there's nothing more that I love than making a hard pivot from telling people to read the news and look out the window to being like, let's talk about someone who is lost in their own delusion for a little while. Yes. <laughs> WandaVision is here. It, we have, this has been the most, one of the most mysterious uh, projects of Disney's MCU. Yeah. Um, made all the more mysterious by this unscheduled break that we all just took from the MCU. Mm -hmm. Um, due to our good old uh, neighbor COVID. <laughs> and uh, 
we're we're now finally here. It's 2021, and we finally get to see the first two episodes of WandaVision. Um, the next one will be out on the day that this episode is brought out. Um, I have not seen it. Charles, because he's a superhero journalist, has actually seen the third episode. It's true. Um, but I can tell you from the top, this isn't going to be something that I would consider a spoiler cast, us mm. talking about WandaVision. Um, do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, you know, the show's early on. We've only seen, like, uh, I've only seen two episodes, and uh, and Charles has seen, you know, three and that kind of thing. And it's still quite a mysterious show. Not a lot has been revealed. It's mostly just been asking questions. Uh, and, and two, basically that, that the show itself um, really isn't about like a big swath of like uh, crazy things happening each episode so far it's introducing us to this show and these characters and what's going on and we're all just still question marks all over our heads so there's not really much to spoil about this so just letting you guys know that from the top that's gonna be the tone now that we've tricked everyone into thinking that there won't be any spoilers. <laughs> no, that was um, crazy when Wanda died at the end of the first episode. Oh my gosh, she was so nuts. No, that didn't happen. Um, no, I, I, goodness, I remember when this was announced at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years ago, and I was like lost in a crowd, and I got a text from one of my editors who knows that I am a fan of the Scarlet Witch, and mm-hmm. I could not be in Hall H for the announcements, and he's like, Charles what it's like scarlet witch show i'm like what it's like scarlet witch show 50s i'm like i don't know what's wrong with you um <laughs> he's pitching he's pitching an idea to you he's pitching and i'm like i don't get it i don't get it no 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 um but it's so it's so wild that we are finally seeing this show after all of the schedule changes and the chaos that's actually going on in the real world because mm-hmm. we are people who have been stuck at home for the better part of uh almost like almost you know, more than a year at this point, um, mm-hmm. watching our TVs. And that has been what these first two episodes have been about. Um, just mm-hmm. having watched, like immediately after finishing uh, the second episode, what immediately, like I was bowled over by was the thought process that you kind of went through earlier. Like, it's not a superhero show. It's just a 30-minute sitcom. And that's yeah. true. But it is also a superhero show in a sense. But mm-hmm. like each episode is a superhero show in and of itself. They're just they how to put they fluctuate in terms of scale of their stakes from episode mm-hmm. to episode. You have, you know, as much mystery and weirdness and what the hell is going on with Wanda and Vision as there is in that first episode. In the end, it really is about like oh no, Wanda and Vision miscommunicate about what date it is and what the significance is. And then when Vision's boss starts to choke on the floor, they have to save him. As silly as it is, you know, it is a form of ground level superheroism that I think is ultimately going to be uh, a recurring theme throughout, right? Yes. No matter how twisted the reality gets, they are at their core heroes. They just happen to be going through a particularly traumatic event that you will recall yes. from the other movie. Which it brings up just how amazing Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are doing at delivering these complex, like simple sitcom, but complex underneath it all characters, uh, even in just these first two episodes. Uh, I remember you... Did you text me? You tweeted out. You're like, all right, Bettany can tell a joke. Bettany can Bettany can uh, can can deliver some comedy in this, which he does. Um, and then at the same time, 
Elizabeth Olsen is really just uh, running the gamut of all the emotion that she can uh, to make sense of this reality that she's in right now, as well as the happenings of it. They're, they're doing, uh, long and short of it, they're doing an amazing job already, two episodes in. Kind of sort of like the show, we just like dived right into this. And in the off chance that there are people who are listening who still don't know exactly what the show is about, literally just sure. the basic pitch is... Wanda and Vision are seemingly trapped in a sitcom-like reality in which they, newlyweds, have just moved to a town, Westview, Mm -hmm. where no one knows that they are not normal. It's unclear whether Mm -hmm. or not they're superheroes, Um, but in the very first episode, we are brought to a very Dick Van Dyke-like period in time where Mm -hmm. Wanda is a fancy lady who works at home, works at home. She's a homemaker. She works at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And Vision is, you know, a diligent businessman who clocks in and out at his job where he does who knows what. No one seems to be able (laughs) to understand. Um, All the while, cheesy jokes, laugh track, um, you know, ridiculous prop effects um, to simulate their powers um, with all of the technology of the 50s brought to today um all the while uh, there's a larger story being told of what the hell is going on um, because we can presumably assume that it is the present day after avengers yeah. endgame where scarlet mm-hmm. witch has presumably beat the shit out of thanos at least once um yeah and vision is still last we saw very much missing in action but as the episode um first episode opens vision is very much alive um mm-hmm. and seemingly unconcerned about reality being wrong yeah they're 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 in a a reality that doesn't make sense to not only themselves but us as the viewers having come from you know the end of endgame and everything like that and so the show is 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 about that sitcom world but also these cracks in the reality that keep lending to more and more mystery um, which i think is part of like the the hopeful hook of the show you're kind of brought in and 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 you're enjoying their little uh uh, parade through these eras of sitcoms you know dick van dyke and bewitched and that kind of thing but then all the while there are these dark uh periods of you know breaks in that where it's like you know even the, the the boss getting you know choking on the food and his wife seemingly breaking a little bit, like kind of a, a little bit of a robot dividing by zero moment for her. Um, and then the the colorful uh, helicopter that she finds in the bush of her garden that we, in a world that's black and white is the only piece of color that's around there. Um, uh, the at the end of episode two, the mysterious like beekeeper showing up out of the manhole cover. And so like this picture-perfect sitcom reality that they are in right now um, is it's having a hard time holding its seal. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, so much of what we've seen so far has really just been place-setting almost, just establishing what we need to know about the strangeness of this reality before all of the truths start to come tumbling out and the, you know, the story of what is going to happen next and the MCU really starts to kick off. Um, and yet... These first two episodes really have been a fascinating way for Marvel to dig into the deep histories for both of these characters in a succinct, like in a way that's both like succinct and surprisingly deep and something that you couldn't necessarily do the same way in a movie, in a singular movie, you Mm -hmm. know. So Mm -hmm. often with these movies like Age of Ultron, Civil War, they are amalgams of um, different comic book 
um, arcs. Yeah, the, the 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 heads of MCU they very much are loving uh, taking the scalpel to a lot of this uh, this source material, and they are picking and choosing what they want to use. They're pulling out their glue sticks and they're mashing them together to make something new, which thus far has actually worked for them quite well. I mean, the Civil War, the film um, is is kind of just a, 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 a slight reflection of the comic version of Civil War. And it worked really well for not only the movie, but also for launching certain things they wanted to do after the movie, like Black Panther and so forth. Black Panther's like emergence of the world has nothing to do with the comic book version of Civil War, but they use that as a leaping off point to introduce this whole other, you know, country and character and all that kind of stuff. And so the MCU makers love to do that. And they know they're doing that with this show and they know that they are they are tossing out these little tidbits of you know breadcrumbs on the ground for anybody who knows the background of Vision and Scarlet Witch from you know other source materials, and they're teasing us with a lot of pieces from different uh, uh, parts of their their world that I'm I'm still you know curious about how it's all going to look in the end because they really haven't landed on any specific story or or a character moment from these guys. Um, well, that's true. Like that's true and untrue to differing degrees. What WandaVision is doing that a lot of other Mar- like Marvel projects just can't afford to do because of the format is they are letting these different bits and pieces of Wanda and Vision exist in the vacuum of each, you know, in-universe episode, right? But stringing mm-hmm. it together with the connective thread of their presences within the MCU. So... You know, you, goodness, you look back at the Scarlet Witch's first appearance in X-Men number four. That was like back in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. In this very first episode of WandaVision, what you're getting isn't just a send up of Dick Van Dyke and an excellent opportunity to see that Marvel has really been sleeping on Elizabeth Olsen's acting talents for years at this point. You're also Truth. getting you're also getting like this little peek back into the kinds of storytelling of that era, which extended to comic books and these characters at the time, which is this really sort of like wild thing to consider because in the adaptation process, what ends up happening with all these stories that are set in the present day, um, some of that um, historical context gets stripped away um, or some of the trappings get stripped away. You were talking earlier about um, the Black Panther's first appearance within the Fantastic Four books. That book has an entirely different tone um, than, yeah. you know, the way that we meet, that we first meet MCU T'Challa. He's very much like being proactive, like, y'all were, you know, stirring up some shit and I'm here to handle business. Whereas in the comics, it's like the Fantastic Four literally wandering into his home and they're like, oh, no, you, you know, y'all got the wrong one today, um, which, could st- <laughs> which, which could still work. But I understand why it's missing here. With yeah. WandaVision, it's not, it's obviously not like a one-to-one comparison. Um, But what you're getting is, you know, these bits and pieces of what these people could have been like um, were these television shows to have existed at that point in time. And it's a really great way to sort of, you know, introduce elements like, I mean, this this may seem innocuous to some people, but like elements like Wanda's ridiculous old costume, like her old costume. Yeah. You know, it's like they have been, we've seen the full getup in the one Halloween um, episode, but you also see like when she puts on the bustier in the magic performance and when she puts on, you know, the nightgown, when she puts on pants, um, when she meets Monica for the first time, what you're seeing, I think is like, 
her costume coming together. Her, what is going to become her big, you know, current Scarlet Witch costume, which is an amalgam of all these bits and pieces of like yeah. retro, you know, retro nostalgia that are floating around in her mind. Um, and as, you know, it's, it's, it can be seen as a really insignificant kind of thing. But I think that as a story that is kind of, meant to be a celebration of these characters and really their first opportunity to shine as stars in the MCU. I think that's really great. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I, you talk about how they're using this as a, as a, as a engine to explore these characters in a way they haven't been able to do in the, uh, movies. Uh, I, I love that they're, you know, so a lot of people who are watching the show, they can see, you know, okay, this feels a little bit like the visions, the, the, the comic book that came out uh, a little while ago. Um, that was book, all yeah. about, uh, Tom King's book where the vision basically created a family um, and they were attempting to recreate normalcy in suburbia a la very Edward Scissorhand like um, in, uh, you know, I think as they were living in like the D.C. area or something like that, um, the suburbs outside of D.C. area. And, and he was living of, in Virginia. Thank you very much. Those of us who are okay. from D.C. are very particular. Okay, then you help me out with that. I appreciate that. But the vision in that one was the one who was uh, not hellbent, but focused on uh, being normal and trying to mimic normalcy as much as possible. Whereas in the show, they're kind of applying that a little bit more to Wanda, who herself is is kind of obsessed with making sure that they come across as normal um, to everybody. You know, kind of secret identity-esque, but still very much don't want to upset either the normalcy of reality, you know, someone having superpowers, someone being able to fly and that kind of thing, but even the normalcy of like her in that setting with a bunch of ladies who were doing the planning setting yeah. and she shows up wearing pants and she's even self-conscious about the fact that she wore pants. She doesn't really know why she feels like she should show up like that and dress different than everybody else, but she still does it, but still feels self-conscious that she has upset the norm. And I like that they have kind of transferred that to Wanda, who also, you know, that's part of her character also from the comics is wanting to be normal, even though she's in a relationship with a syntho, you know, synth what's his name? A synthoid? Synthesoid. Synthesoid. Um, you know, robot man. And that she, <laughs> in the comics, you know, makes children out yeah. of magic. You yeah. know, that, that that's how much she wants to have a normal life, that she literally magically makes sons. <laughs> There's, you know, there there was a lot of early buzz um, comparing the show to King's The Visions um, for the obvious reason of there being, you know, even though we have been told that chaos magic may pop up here, so much of this has seemingly been technological and television based, um, which obviously mm-hmm. evokes vision. Um, but what's also been really cool to see is that there's a reason that it's not called Vision Wanda when it wouldn't make any sense. Um, and two, this is very much... Wanda's show, um, yes. I feel. It is more an exploration of who she is because of how, frankly, like how convoluted a character she has always been in the comics. It's so, she is such a ridiculous presence that the simplicity of her presence in the movies has also just stuck out. It's like, really? Yeah. That's it? That's, yeah. Okay, telekinesis? It's, it's almost like a, a broader version of that moment from, uh, what is it, Endgame, when Wanda finally gets onto the battlefield, manages to literally lift these giant buzzsaw-like tanks and send them at the enemy, and... Uh, uh, it was it was one of the, the the Black Panther girls who's like, why was she up there? What was it's she doing Okoye. up there? That, She's like, what has she been doing this whole time? Yeah. yeah. And then in Endgame, you know, Thanos is like, who are you? 
Yeah, but it's that in a bigger version where we're all like going like who have who know Scarlet Witch from the comics. Like, what is she doing in such a small role? This woman is the crux of so many big events in the Marvel world. She needs to be used more. And I think that's what they're doing with this. As much as, you know, there are shades of House of M, you know, the infamous X-Men arc in which she creates a false reality, um, as there is in this book. I feel like everyone's kind of sleeping on the Vision and the Scarlet Witch series uh, from the mid '80s. It's um, mm-hmm. goodness, I'm trying, it's Bill Mantlo and Steve Englehart's series where <laughs> I shit you not, Vision and the Scarlet Witch move to New Jersey. You literally just yeah. move right across the bridge, and they're like, "Let's get a house and entertain trick or treaters and do everything that we can to truly just actually get away from the Avengers and be the normal people." that we want to um as much as the as much of the big uh, shiny bombast as there's eventually going to be as the series goes on it's that kind of characterization that i think is really going to make wandavision stand out because with all of these marvel things we you know we we gif and we share and we talk about the action scenes because they look cool but it's those moments where we get to know who people are that really stick with us um yeah and i'm in particular I'm so fascinated to see what human vision is. Um, the vision, much like the Scarlet Witch, has been this role for Paul Bettany that just the way it's been written has not allowed for very much for him to do. You know, he's like, oh, he picked up the yeah. hammer. Cool. And it's like, yeah, he picked up the hammer because yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. hammer's like, mm, I feel like this person is not a person. Um, and that's funny. But in the long term, it's like, I want to see more. And yeah. what has been really what I've really loved seeing with these first two episodes and especially the third that people are going to have a chance to see by the time that this is out um, is the shades of concern and understanding of Wanda um, that has always been, almost always been missing from every presentation of the character, be it um, in comic books, in animated series, or in previous films. Um, Everyone who loves a Scarlet Witch, you know, just by definition also loves Jean Grey. It just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and yes. what they have in common is like they are these, in the comics originally, they are these, they're presented as these weak, relatively weak um, women on predominantly male teams who eventually come into their power in such a way that changes the shape of the universe, right? Like it's an established yeah. comic trope. We all love it. Um, but what is the what has always been like the the agony of being a Wanda fan has been watching different creative teams try to address the scale of her powers um, by contextualizing it in a story about like people being afraid of her. Um, the mm-hmm. big you know House of M leads to the decimation um, in which she mm-hmm. wipes out the bulk of the world's uh, mutant population, which is. I think still one of the more interesting ideas to come out of the X-Men mythos for sure. Um, Oh yeah. And and, you know, in the healing from M day um, has taken the entire X roster to heights and lows that would not have been possible without the event. But with Wanda in particular, most creative teams have really failed to address what happened to Wanda in a way that ever tries to frame her as anything but a victim or someone who is so yeah. plagued by guilt that they are on the brink of mental collapse again. Um, in the same way that powerful girls scaring people are a trope, so too are people, you know, falling apart. And it's like, okay, there's that's not to say that stories about people 
who are mentally unstable or on the verge of collapse shouldn't be told. But it's like, at what point do those stories start to be more than just like, haha, oh no, Wanda's falling apart again. Run away, everybody. It's like, let's get a little bit yeah. more of that. And I say all of this to say that with Wanda and Vision in particular, you saw shades of this in um, Infinity War when you see Wanda and Vision, I think they're in Glasgow and they're just like living life or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. posing as uh, posing as humans before Proxima Midnight comes through and stabs them. Um, you're seeing the intimacy that they have with one another, which can which can mean a bunch of different things, but the the easiest way to read it as, oh, they understand each other. They have spent so much time with each other that they can see each other as people in the way in ways that the rest of the team can't in a way that the other films haven't centered. And it's so far been in these very small moments where you see Goodness, you see Vision, you know, being worried for Wanda. You see him mm -hmm. joking and trying to make her laugh. You see him being attracted to Wanda. You know, everyone's yeah. focusing Everyone's focusing on the boys who here, so far, have not <laughs> been conjured out of chaos magic. They are literally the result of Wanda and Vision, like, getting busy at the beginning of the episode. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. that's, like that's so, even though it's very tongue-in-cheek and, like, get the lights, dear, it is getting at the realities of them being a real couple who feel yeah. a romantic attraction to one another. And that within the, you know, the larger superhero genre, you don't see that very often. No. And, and even in the, the MCU genre, we haven't seen that. We haven't had a love story in the MCU that's really gotten to, you know, uh, develop in front of us. You know, obviously everyone is always thinking about, you know, Steve and uh, uh, Peggy and everything like that as like this great love story of MCU, but no, that's not the love story of the MCU because they were they were just separated the entire time. They and, were separated, and, he and then he started the dating what her granddaughter, and it was like, no, yes. I don't, I don't want this. Steve, you nasty, you nasty, go home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we get we get to we get to actually experience a, the romance story in the MCU through Wanda and Vision, who are, are such an interesting connection in the comics and even in what we like you talking about that those little those little quiet moments that were happening in Endgame between them two are just so uh endearing mm -hmm. and, and and stay with us and 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 help lead the movie to its dramatic end with with Vision even telling her like you could never hurt me and those kind of moments that would not matter if not for the fact that they had spent at least some time making that connection Definitely. Um, and so yeah it's so funny you talk about like them having their little canoodling time in this in that episode of wandavision where you know they bring the beds together and you know get under the covers love it um that's like that's the first time we get to see that of them like having their little intimate moment and that's that's amazing yeah and i i what, what what's wild about it we've spent so much time talking about wanda and vision specifically but the show is so far it's doing it seems to be going in the direction of doing that for pretty much all of its core cast um, because mm -hmm. Wanda and Vision don't just, you know, they may be in a bubble, but they're not alone. Um, you've got nosy neighbor Agnes, Catherine Hahn, um, Geraldine, a uh, woman in, who has been introduced as Geraldine, but we know to be Monica Rambeau. Um, mm -hmm. um, from Tiana. Captain Marvel. She was the young from girl that, the young... Was, that was the, you know, yep. anti-Marvel. Now, now she's all grown up, uh, being played by Tiana Paris. Um, and then really interestingly, we've got this woman, Dottie, played by Emma Caulfield from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who, in a way that is both like on brand for retro sitcoms, but also very, you like very distinctly modern, 
you get to see so much more of like the interior lives of the supporting characters in ways that you wouldn't necessarily always get from a you know from a Dick Van Dyke or a Bewitched. Um, that in and of itself is really cool, and then it becomes that much more interesting when it's like, oh right, Agnes isn't just you know we've seen we've we've seen uh, the, we've seen Catherine Hahn in the trailer in the Witch's Hat. She's not just a leading name Agnes. It's like oh they're doing Agatha Harkness. Like oh we're doing like. Yeah. We're doing the old lady witch who occasionally babysits for the Avengers. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. What's like, what is that about? And we, we've been talking so long already about all of WandaVision and this episode can't be a two hour long episode. So no. we have to like we are kind of wrap. move it along. But uh, yeah, the, the, the supporting characters are also amazing. This introduction introduction of sword, um, which is the, in the comics, the space version of shield, but in the TV show, they've changed a word around in the acronym from world to weapon. Mm. And so sword is going to be something that I think is a bit more intimately focused on individuals like Wanda and Vision. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, and then they've got that beekeeper that shows at the end that looks almost like a member of AIM, which is a super evil scientist uh, organization. Um, but he also has a sword logo on him. Uh, so there's there's plenty to talk about this show. Uh, but I want to give us time really quick for yeah. uh, both of us to be able to share our big picture kind of ideas of what might be going on. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, I'll go first. Okay. Um, what I've been enjoying about this is that there's just so many different possibilities. Um, there's so many different directions that this could go in. Um, I had not heard about uh, the weapon bit of sword. It's like, yeah, Ooh, I like that. That's really hot. Um, but- Sent- it, the, the acronym actually is specifically, it's, us- it's usually Sentient World Observation and Response yeah, Department. Yeah, yeah. In the MC, and here it's Sentient Weapon, weapon Observation uh-huh, uh-huh. and Response Division. I like this. I like this. Um, my goodness. What I have thought so far is that even though, you know, because this is meant to build into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, while magic yes. is going to factor into this in some capacity going forward, I don't know that everything that's going on is inherently magical. Um, my thought is, yo, again, last time that we saw Vision, he was dead. And Wanda mm-hmm. Wanda had not only been forced to kill him once, right? She'd killed him once, mm-hmm. and then Thanos rewound time, and then made her watch it again before he murdered mm-hmm. her, for her to pop back, and her husband, gone. Um, that's mm-hmm. the kind of, you know, that's the kind of like, listen, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't function. My initial thought was that whatever Westview is, it's actually a sword facility where she's being treated for mm. whatever sort of mental state she may be in post endgame with a mix. Uh, well, basically with um, Tony Stark's barf technology, the hologram stuff, mm. which we've seen in um, Spider-Man Far From Home become weaponized, you know, to and effective to the point where it can make people perceive things oh. that aren't there. But because Wanda is not a regular person, the way she interacts with it goes a little off, right? Supercharging it almost. Between her powers being, you know, rooted in the Mind Stone, and then we've also seen her in Age of Ultron being able to take over an entire town, at least momentarily. I think that what we're seeing right here is like a really funky mix of technology and Wanda's trauma really blowing out of proportion with Sword being like, girl, we don't like this, but can we use it? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, one, uh, we're starting a band called Wanda's Trauma, and two, 
Um, your theory, actually a little bit Venn diagrams up on mine. I love Ooh, nice. where yours went. Mine, mine went to a little bit more of a kind of a, a mirror image of the, the world, uh, which is a, um, a bubble civilization inside of the MC inside of the Marvel universe in the comics, mm-hmm. uh, that was created by a bunch of scientists who wanted to create this, uh, separate, space that they could do experiments apart from the rest of the world it's sealed off from the rest of the world anytime anybody tries to break into it it all goes awry even inside of the bubble uh time is moving at a rapider pace so that they can actually interesting uh uh yeah like like evolution can occur in real time to them and that kind of stuff so it's a hyper uh sciencey kind of facility and so i think it's a little bit of that but i i i i kind of see it as wanda's bubble that possibly through Wanda's trauma she has created in a space somewhere in the actual real world. Um, and what S.W.O.R.D. is, is S.W.O.R.D. is trying to attempt to monitor it and uh, trying to even infiltrate it. And what we're seeing is these attempts to infiltrate then are mixing with this uh, reality warped world that Wanda's mm. created. And it's, and it's warping their infiltration. Like the helicopter could be a real helicopter that tried to make its way into it and then Wanda's magic turned it into a little toy in her bush right the right beekeeper could be a scientist trying an aim looking scientist trying to make his way in and wanda's reality can't have that be what's there so she turns him into, into a beekeeper, like this beekeeper. Uh-huh. you know honestly when i saw the beekeeper the first time i'm like oh this is getting into vision or um, this is getting into like legion territory now but no i like that so much more that makes so much more sense yeah yeah, yeah. so it's so i i like you went the technical route i went the more like just full-on wanda's like chaos magic making a, a bubble of safety for a route i love but it i think we're in the same page and we're just waiting to see which like tab they pull from yeah for sure all right that was awesome and great and uh and i i think we all should applaud each other anyways um (laughs) thank you so much for joining us for this first episode of the real canon uh i'm so excited about this project mostly because this is my way of getting you all to listen to charles talk which i adore (laughs) doing myself um, please, if you enjoyed the show, uh, you're, you, you're going to want to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe, get your, your, your friends to subscribe, get your auntie to subscribe. We need all the <laughs> subscribers and then we need them all to also write a review. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a good review from you guys. And that helps the show, uh, get out there and, and be seen by more people, um, so that we can keep doing this. Uh, and if you're extra interested in staying in touch with the show, we do have social for the show. You can find us real Canon pod on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. So next week, we're shifting gears a little bit. As much as we love WandaVision, there's a wide world out there. And we're shifting our focus to Ragnaroks. Ragnaroks, plural. And our ongoing obsession with ancient mythologies. We're talking about Hades, God of War, American Gods, all that good stuff. We hope you've had a good time this week, and we hope you return next for more The Real Canons.